Today, I'm talking to Michelle Schuler, a founding member of Realogic's Sotheby's International Realty of Seattle, Washington, renowned for being the best in relocation. A real estate agent for 15 years, Michelle has received numerous awards and accolades for her sales successes and client satisfaction, including recently being ranked the number one agent in the state of Washington. We talk about what it takes and means to be a true relocation expert. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody. It's the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today we have Michelle Schuler with Realogic Sotheby's International Realty. That is Seattle, Washington. She is a top real estate agent in Seattle. She does over 60 million a year, is in relocation, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. But that being said, Michelle, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your successes, and we're going to visit how you got into this business in the first place. You bet. So uh, I've been in the business about 15 years. I started actually in my former life. I was a CPA, worked for Microsoft and finance, Uh, left there. I went to work for a startup. So we had about nine employees when I joined, 147 when I left. It's a big transition, took on a lot of different roles, was a little tired at the end of that episode in my life, went out, I got my real estate license with the intention to buy and flip homes. That's how I got into the business. Thank God my managing broker at the time approached me and he said, Michelle, why are you doing this? All the capital risk. This was, thank God, 2006. I got out by the skin of my teeth in 2007 before the market crashed. So, which was also a really interesting time to be starting really actively selling real estate. Uh, From that point forward, I was one of the top producing agents at Cobble Banker where I was at the time. And uh, thank God I got out of that. So, wow. You were a Cobble Banker, you started in about 2006, at the peak of the market, but of course there was a nice surprise right after. And did you say you started Cobble Banker, but were you in Florida? No, 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 I was in Seattle. I've been in okay. Seattle, first so round. in Seattle. Right. So that, like, that opens up the door for so many questions. Mm-hmm. A change in brokers. Yep. Starting a career in what seemed like a good time, but turned out mm-hmm. to be the worst time. That's right. It's been mm-hmm. a long time. Um, and then how you got into relocation from mm-hmm. homes to a full-time agent in relocation. So first yeah. of all, how did you, um, when you got into business, how did you get traction in the recession in 2000? Like well, I, w- I was scrappy. Of course, at the same time, I went through a divorce. So that was an interesting time too. A divorce, the recession, new business, starting over from scratch. That was really fascinating. But I just, I was scrappy. So I had a, a nice book of business from my uh, career in finance, which helped me. And then I just took on, you know, I started doing things that nobody else would do. I was doing short sales. I was, you know, doing all the analytical stuff. I was uh, developing partnerships with a lot of attorneys. So I just was doing things nobody else wanted to do. So it was just getting my hands dirty. I was taking on listings at a lower price point because that luxury market just collapsed as it did most places, but in the Seattle area. So there was a lot of people in my office at the time that were selling, you know, just four, five, six really big listings every year. And I was turning over a lot of, you know, the time, half million dollar sales. So I was, you know, doing high volume, 
lower price point at the time and then doing a lot of short sales created, like I said, really deep relationships with a lot of attorneys at the time. So, you know, you're in a market where there's a good price point. You can, you I don't take this the wrong way, everybody who does this, but you can get away with selling four or five houses That's a right. year. I don't know if you can even get away with that in Atlanta. Um, but how did you know, was it because of your situation that you were like, whatever it takes? I think it's my personality more than anything. It's whatever it takes. So, you know, I could see the writing on the wall. You could see the dip. You could see the change. You could see, and I could also see opportunity. So I was seeing an opportunity with short sales that people didn't want to touch it. You know, the closing process took so long. It was so much more work. But I saw an opportunity in there, so I really exploited that opportunity and, and also for my own personal benefit and need. But yeah, it became a, a great opportunity to create those relationships. And I have then since sold a lot of those homes, um, you know, working on both sides of those transactions with people buying and selling homes. So that was kind of a, a great way to, a horrible, wonderful, <laughs> awful way to launch in a way. But it ended up, um, you know, you just got to get, you, you've got to be, um, I think, really crafty in this market, especially at that time to be successful. Yeah. Well, you said you were willing to do what no one else was willing to do. You're in a recession. You're already hungry. So it's, I think of Steve Jobs when he talks about when you look backwards, how everything lined itself up perfectly. Exactly. You have to get an education, get one fast, learn, work hard, set yourself up for, for success when the market came back. Yep, exactly. Like time or room for denial. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So how did that lead? Kind of give us, when you got in, did you have moments where you were like, there's no way? This is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. No, this is what have I gotten myself into? Uh -huh. There were many of those conversations I had with myself. Yep, exactly. So I think once I transitioned out of you know flipping homes into selling homes, it was almost ten months before I closed a transaction. And then as we went through into the deep dive, I actually went. I think it was six or eight months without a paycheck. Um, and it's just being, but I knew the pipeline was full. So you know there wasn't that much stress. I knew it was full. It was just a timing issue with when these transactions were going to close. And just being crafty enough, it was all about creating those relationships and keeping the pipe full. Uh, and I've been successful at doing that since. Yeah. Wow. So in the beginning, it was short sales, yeah. a lot of short sales. Mm -hmm. I remember I had already been an agent for a few years and I didn't want to touch a short sale, but I figured out I had to. Yeah. Um, and that was a lot of what I did. But then after that, because you've got a really, really strong focus on relocation. So kind of unfold, I want to keep it chronological. Yep. You had the, the change in brokers yep. and obviously you've evolved into being highly focused and specialized and mm -hmm. skilled at relocation. Mm -hmm. yep. What was the order of events that led you to where you are today? So we have, you know, in Seattle, Amazon is a huge employer. So I was invited to join the relocation team within our, our brokerage to start helping out folks on the Amazon team. And that kind of, there were so many people moving in and having that opportunity to work with that team. And at the time, you know, the price point wasn't that high, but eventually just given my skill set, I was provided the opportunity to work with more of our VIP level clients at Amazon and also Starbucks here local. We also have, you know, a Google team. There's a lot of technology companies here. So really getting involved again, a lot of people don't want to touch those transactions because you're obligated to pay a referral fee. I had a different attitude, which was, it was an opportunity to get introduced to people I otherwise would not have the opportunity to meet. So yes, I was taking you know, a haircut on the commission, but the opportunity and upside down the road was huge to me to meet those people, to interact with those people, to have the referral base outside of that relocation network. And I just, it, it was good at it. I grew up in Seattle, so it was very natural to me. I've lived here my entire life. So being able to have somebody come in and you know, 
the across the years and show them the entire area, not one specific area, one specific community. These are people that know nothing. And they are so desiring of help and support and empathy and direction. And a lot of holding, you know, there's a lot of emotion involved in that. More emotion when you're moving from a country. If you're coming from Atlanta to Seattle, it's scary. And you've got there's kids. There's a lot of emotion in the shift <laughs> and the price point. Oh, oh. <laughs> and then there's that, the sticker shock that goes with any of transition. Yeah. Any clients today, I just said that, you know, unless it's our San Francisco buyers moving up here, there is sticker shock. You know, that's it. Exactly. So, so what point did you, did you transition from short sales to relocation? That wasn't an overnight transition. I think at about the same time, you know, our economy started to recover, started to recover in part because of Amazon and all, all the hiring. So it was really a transition of letting go of one and moving into the other. So, you know, short sale was phasing out over about in the Seattle area, about 2010, 2011, and that's when the reload business really picked up. So we had, okay. you know, some degree of reloads coming in, but then it kind of shot up. And over the last, you know, certainly 10 years uh, in Seattle, Amazon has completely changed the landscape of who we are, uh, who Seattle is. So. so, and then you changed brokers, and what year was that? Correct. Yeah, I just joined Sotheby's uh, last last year. Uh, I was invited to join as a founding member of our new Bellevue office, uh, which, which is I've where, heard about. Yeah. yeah. This is where all the, everything's happening in Seattle and the Bellevue on the east side. Yeah. Okay. So why Sotheby's? Why? Oh my gosh. Why Sotheby's? It's funny because Stacy and Dean had pursued me for a long time and, and really the, the crux of it was the marketing. So I had come from a company with a relatively small marketing staff, you know, even though I had a lot of resources there, right. they could not keep par. And I think that the crux of this was without naming any names, somebody said to me, well, you know, Michelle, Sotheby's, you know, they're a marketing company. And I said, what? By definition, isn't everything we do to market and sell real estate? So I think it was that comment that kind of set me over the edge. And I had hired a new assistant and she challenged me. She came from, um, she was supporting a very, very uh, successful broker in Compass in the San Francisco area. And when she came on board, she said, you know, Michelle, what is your brokerage doing for you? What are they doing for you to help you? And I said, gosh, you know, I can't articulate a good answer to that question which really set in motion a whole series of questions I was asking to myself and what I want. And a, you know, the opportunity came up here in Bellevue, which is where all the growth is happening in the greater Seattle area. All the employers are moving over here to the east side. There'll be 35,000 new jobs in the Bellevue, greater uh, Bellevue area, oh, wow. which is astonishing. And so wow. with that opportunity, being a founding member here with everything that Sotheby's offers, and it's just been an amazing transition. Yeah. 35,000 new jobs. 35,000 new jobs, correct. So being in yeah. relocation is not a bad place to be. Not a bad place. That's right. I mean, you just need a few of those. Just a few. Just, just a few. few. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's just in relocation. That's so right. So tell us about in, in re, because a lot of agents, I mean, I think people think, well, isn't everybody relocating when they buy a house? But by relocation, we mean they're moving from another city, Correct. usually for jobs. Or, I mean, to me, it's anybody moving from another city into your market is a relocation because they don't necessarily know where they want to land. Right. How do you, I don't know where to begin to ask the question. So if you want to answer a different question from what I asked to mm -hmm. get the message across on the importance of what you do, please do. Because I think everybody listening, including with me, me would want to know, it can be a, relocation you're getting people like you said who don't know the city they need to learn a lot mm -hmm. and they need to learn it fast 
what's the process? How are you really good at it? And mm -hmm. how are you still efficient at it for their sake? And of course yours. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about, you know, I really spend a lot of time on the intake. So when I meet somebody, I'm usually just given their name, some information. I try to set up a call with that individual. And if they're married, their spouse or their partner to have that conversation to really start to understand what they're looking for. Some people are trying to recreate the life they have wherever they're coming from. So they want a similar architectural style type of house. Some people are thinking, okay, we're upending the family. We want a really Pacific Northwest lifestyle. We want something completely different. And then I try to separate the two as well. So oftentimes there's two parties. I'm gonna to try to understand what they're trying to accomplish individually and then as a family unit. Um, what are their kids looking for? What sports are they into? What sort of activities are important? What do they do as hobbies? Do they, are they skiers? Are they hikers? Are they runners? Are they uh, into their book clubs? Like what is their lifestyle that they're trying to recreate? It's not just about, I want you know, a bedroom, you know, five bedrooms, four and a half bathrooms, expert footage. And then we talk about level setting expectations because most of my clients are not coming from an area where the price point is equivalent. So we have to do a lot of level setting because I've had a lot of people in my car where somebody's crying because they're really unhappy about what they're giving up. I usually ask them to send me pictures or video of their home to really understand, to help me understand quickly where they're coming from, what their lifestyle, what their commute looks like, where their kids go to school. It's really a comprehensive um, dialogue. And then I, it's, it's really about quickly building trust. They need to understand that I, I know the area, that I have their best interest in mind. It's not necessarily about a quick sale. Um, sometimes getting folks into a rental is a better decision than quickly moving them through that process. Uh, because usually what's happening is they're not only buying a home on this side, but they're selling a home on the other side. They're selling a home full of memories. They're selling a home where, where they've established friendships and relationships. Their kids are riding the bike you know, through the neighborhood. They've got friends. There's so much emotion that goes on, not just with, we've got a job change, we've got maybe a cross country move, we've got maybe the other spouse trying to find an employment here in the Seattle area. We've got kids that might be really angry <laughs> or emotional. So there's all these little factors that we try to figure out. How do we make everybody happy and involved and engage everybody in the process? And that, I think, is the most important thing, is building that trust to say, you know, as they're looking at homes, you need to trust me when I say this is going to be a better spot. And sometimes they come in with a preconceived notion of where they want to be, which is largely driven if they've got kids by schools. But helping them say, you know, why don't we consider some, some other options that might be something you haven't considered, but based on what, how you're describing your lifestyle and what you want, that might be a better fit for you. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, you know, approach it that way. And then, you know, a lot of, lot of hand-holding. Um, so, so what, like just listening to you, I broke it down into three things. Number one, listen and understand first, mm -hmm. ask lots and lots of questions yep. to understand their lifestyle mm -hmm. and where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Number two, as they're coming in, set expectations mm -hmm. and to be able to set expectations that are heard and to be able to understand and listen to them, you've got to build trust quickly. Um, and I think doing things like getting pictures to the things you're doing, I mean, it's funny because I can tell you take that, you just like, well, of course, this is just what you do. Like, how do you, like, how do you tie your shoes or drive a car? It's not difficult. But the important little nuances that you talked about, you know, listen and understand first, say expectations and building trust quickly. Yep. Um, I think building trust is, well, I'm, I, in my mind, I'm asking you two questions at once. I want to hit on trust real quickly. Mm -hmm. Building trust can be challenging sometimes mm -hmm. in our business because we're real estate agents. We're just in it for the money. I don't know you. You were just assigned to me for relocation. Right. Who are you to tell me what to do? Just mm -hmm. to get out of the way. 
get me in the houses and let me tell you when to make an offer and let me tell you how to negotiate it. Do you get any yeah. of that? You yeah, I do. And that's where it's so important up front to build that credibility, to be a professional, act like a professional. You know, when I meet people, we set up a call. I try to get both parties on the phone. I treat them both with equal respect. I'm not talking to just, you know, one party and not the other. I'm really trying to get everybody on the same page. We set up agendas. So when they come in, when I pick them up in the car, they're always in my car. I want to control the situation. I'm going to have an agenda to say, this is exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to see these houses. They're all printed out. I've got a gallery of photos. I've, got a, I've planned where we're going to lunch, what we're going to do if there's kids and plan breaks in there, snacks, time to run around a park. We're going to see, and part of what I do when I do area tours, we're not just looking at houses. We're looking at all the amenities, the schools, where they would go shopping, what that looks like. We spent a lot of time. I said, hey, let's pop out. Let's go in the grocery store because those are your people. That's where you're hanging out, where you're spending time. So a lot of thought goes into that. And I think the credibility comes from, you know, my experience in real estate, my experience in finance, that background, because the people I'm working with are generally extremely sophisticated buyers, extremely intelligent. They have a limited amount of time. And so I've got a limited amount of time to build that trust. And then that, that window of opportunity leaves. You know, I've got one shot. And so it's about being credible, about being available, about taking the calls when they call. I try to be very available. And when they've got me, when I'm with them in the car, I don't take other calls. I might, if I, if I have to set expectations about I'm expecting a call or I'm negotiating a deal, I'll let them know up front that I'll be stepping aside for a few moments to do that. But that's why I have a full-time assistant that's dealing with all that on the back end. So they really feel like they've got me 100% because their time is so valuable when they're here. And I think that's where a lot of people lose it is that they don't, they need you to have your undivided attention when you're working in Reload because they're coming in and they need to feel like they, you get them. So mom to mom, like having kids yeah. and understanding that and being empathetic when the kids are crying or they're grouchy or they're upset. Well, of course they're upset. You're moving them across the country. That's, that's a reasonable way for them to feel. So it's not being judgmental, yeah. but being empathetic, right? Yeah. Little things like that can go a long ways with building trust on both sides with, you know, if, if, you know, if you've got two parties that you're working with is understanding both people's expectations. Um, and, you know, maybe the party that's relocating for the job, you know, they just need to be, they need to buy that house fast because they need to stop. They need to be focused on their new job and the employment, whereas the other one is more worried about maybe kids or the household or friend, how are they going to make friends? Like, what is that like in the community? How am I going to meet somebody? How am I going to, how are my kids going to meet people? That can be, that that's, can be incredibly stressful and having empathy for that. Do you, do you find, for example, being, I shouldn't say this out loud because it's being recorded, but that is exhausting. It's exhausting. I mean, I deal with a lot of people. I do deal with a lot of reload, but usually they, by the time they get to me, they know where they want to be because I'm more specialized in an area than in reload. But, or I have someone on my team that can help them with this process as opposed to me or the part of town they want to be in. But I, sorry for going on about that, but I preface that with to say, how do you, do you find, because they're coming in for a couple of days, mm -hmm. do, you, do you compartmentalize some of that time to say, hey guys, go see these properties, go see these areas, spend time alone, and then I'm going to step back in? Or how do you know how to structure all of that? It really depends. So sometimes if they're coming in for more of a house hunting tour, I said, let me, let me meet you at the, you know, the, the, when the, at the outset, when you first get there, I want to meet with them initially to kind of orient them or they'll just go out in the weeds. They have no idea where they're going. They're going to get lost. They're going to make bad decisions. Or if they say we want some time together, it's our anniversary. We're flying out. Great. 
I'm going to give you, here's some neighborhoods to drive around. I'll give them an, an agenda, an itinerary. Go to this restaurant, go have dinner here, go have lunch there, go to this park, check this out. Maybe you want to jump on a ferry, go check out Bainbridge Island, do something like that. I try to give them an itinerary loosely and then let them go explore. Maybe they want to, maybe they're very early in the process and open houses might be an effective way for them to kind of wander around. But I don't let them just go on whatever platform they're looking at and say, oh, I'm going to go find these open houses because they will not, they won't experience it in the same way they could with some guidance. So I really, if, if they do want time, I typically say, let's meet up front. You know, when you first arrive, let's get together, let's set the agenda, let's talk about this, let's review what you're thinking about, the game plan, and know that they can always call me when they're here. So that's how I typically like to lay it out. So do you ever have, I'm just thinking about my few Relo experiences, do you ever have couples come in and they kind of think they know their agenda and as an agent you're going, that is not the right agenda? Mm -hmm. How do you... Well, we, we interrupt that fairly quickly. So I have people come in more often than not, they say, I want to be in a specific area, but they have a, a defined budget. And we start out, I don't like to budget creep. So I try to keep them within that budget. And it's fairly early in the process. We define that they need to step up the budget. They either need to move out further or they need to step up the budget. One of two things has to happen. So I try to get in front of that. And again, that's about level setting expectations and, and tell them you need to trust me when they want to maybe go look at a specific house. I'll tell them, you know, that's not a neighborhood you want to be in. It's too far out. The commute's awful. You know, I've seen the house. It's not worth it. You need to trust me because I've been there. And I, yeah. you know, we develop that trust, um, which is important. And it takes time sometimes. And sometimes they, they have to go see it. And I think a few times we'll go see a house that they might want to go see. And then they realize probably we should trust Michelle. She's bringing us to better, better houses along the way. Um, and I also set expectations. Sometimes when people come in, if they're here, let's say, for example, in the fall, and we don't have a lot of inventory in the market, I'll say this isn't a very uh, good representation of the types and styles of homes that we might find in this area, but I'm going to drive you by some homes that are, have been sold recently. Let's go show you what you can afford in your budget that maybe I can't get you into today, but I can give you a flavor of what would be available a month from now or two months from now or three months from now. And they probably appreciate that a lot because it gives them an idea of, of what's to come and what's, do you right. have, so which, so what's your process of, they come in, they know what they want and they just can't find it. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? Because they need to find it. Do they, and then they're, maybe they rent, but how do you handle it? Do you have so, protocols? So that happens a lot more often than not actually in our market, because we have such constrained inventory. People come in and I have a lot of clients right now that are in the same boat waiting so they are i have a lot of clients that are renting right now and i tell them and i don't know if they always believe me but the right house will always come along and it does yeah. by some stroke of magic it's going to come along so i ask them to hang with me to trust me and i know that their anxiety levels are going up but i i my goal is never to sell somebody just any house but to sell them the right house and i would rather see them on a short-term basis in a rental than buying the wrong house or in the wrong neighborhood and I always tell my clients, you know, I just don't want you to wake up and curse my name in the morning when you've made an unhappy decision. Like, I'd rather take the time to get you situated. And I know it's inconvenient sometimes being in a rental, but it's better than buying the wrong house. That's a huge financial investment. So let's get them, even if they need to get the kids situated on a short-term basis, rent something close to the schools, try to make it fun, maybe rent in a place that's got a pool or something to give the kids an activity. But I'd much rather go that route um, and then have patience. But they call me. 
oftentimes I'll, I'll get a call from one spouse or the other saying, you know, can you, can you call my spouse? They're stressing out. You know, I need some support. Can you go meet up and go to coffee? Let's go have a drink. Let's do something to help. It, let us know that there's going to be some relief that we're going to actually find that house. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's great. And you know that because as an agent, you're, you know, the market. Mm -hmm. So knowing the market, you know that the house is going to come up because you know what they want and you've kind of aligned that's right what the market has to offer and this is what you guys want to buy and it will come together yep. um so give us do you have any stories you can give us that are, that kind of well first of all at what point i'm going backwards for a minute but at what point in starting your career did you go from this is crazy what was i thinking to okay this is actually going to work ah uh, that's a good question I, I always felt like it was going to work. I mean, I always had the state of mind, you know, the, the, the mindset that this was going to work. I don't think I ever thought this isn't going to work. I think I thought it was crazy sometimes. Um, but I think once you get to that point where I could always look and see the pipeline, I always knew, you know, my income's fine, totally fine. I can actually take time off. I can live my life. I can have that balance. It, I know that my business is fine now. And I probably took, you know, at least a solid five years into real estate that I had that confidence mm -hmm. without worry. Um, but it was, you know, it was hard work, but I still, I work my business like a business. So I don't assume, you know, there's going to be this windfall of any opportunity that if you treat it like a business and run it like a business, it will behave like a business and perform, which they, that doesn't mean it starts out immediately, but it's going to take some time and a financial investment and an investment of time and, you know, a commitment to making it work. But I think it was a lot about mindset that to me, I was never going to fail. It was never not going to work. I never, I don't have a, like what next? I, I love it. So it's, and I love helping people and that reward is, you know, on the relocation side, there's so much need. And while it's emotionally draining sometimes, you know, cause yeah. you can take out all their emotions as well. It's so rewarding when they find that right house. So you've been doing this for like 14 years, 15, yep. mm -hmm. 15 years. Yep. So after 15 years, relocation is, it's funny because relocation is something that you really have to be a good agent. You really have to know your market and you really have to know beyond your market, but how to handle people, how to, you know, navigate the city, how to make sure you show them, you know, know more about the city than just values in real estate. But it's something that is, it's kind of like, it's what the hungry agents want to do. The more, as you become more experienced and you're a very successful agent after 15 years, a lot of those agents are like, no, no, thank you. I'll go list houses or do something differently or different. What has drawn you and kept you in, because you definitely are really good at it and highly focused on it. What is it about that? And I ask this for two reasons, for people interested in Relo and for other people going, how do I decide what I want to do and what I should stick to? Yeah, and I think it's just the, you know, imparting the knowledge. So having done this long enough, having worked in such a wide geographic area, which a lot of agents don't, and I always have, um, being from Seattle, understand the economics. I really like that educational part of it, so that it makes me happy. I know that I'm providing a service to the people I'm working with. Uh, it can be draining sometimes. There's no question about it. But I think if you can, it, you can portion it out. And and I feel like now I get to decide who I want to work with. So I don't work with everybody who's relocating, but a more discreet audience. And and they're and they tend to be you know the C-suite clients that are coming in where they just don't have any time to, they need help. They really just, that's all they want is just to be, have some guidance and some help and some counsel and a professional. So I love it. I think it'll always be a component part of my business. Um, and I, of course I list homes and I sell homes and I don't work exclusively relocation, but it's been such a huge part. 
And so those people tend to refer their colleagues and I tend to you know, make my rounds within you know, different groups within Amazon or Starbucks or different um, organizations as well where I've sold a lot of that, the, the executive level team at those companies homes because they know that I'm competent uh, and I can help those people and guide them through the process. So we've all got, especially me, our assumptions about what's challenging about this and we've talked about it, but you personally and doing this for so long and becoming so good at it, what, do you, what has been the most challenging part of relocation and, and or being a real estate agent? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good question. I think on the reload side, it's learning to not take on the emotions of the clients because it is so hyper emotional to be able to act as a counselor and act, um, but without absorbing all that, it's kind of like being a parent and not absorbing your kids' emotions. Like you have to be somewhat detached and still available and loving and, and putting them in a container and helping them, but not, not taking it all on yourself. Not getting sucked into it. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and again, you can have, uh, you know, feuding spouses, you could have unhappy kids, but to be there as counsel, but not absorbing that, and I think that, that's hard, I think that was a hard thing for me to do. Um, and then I think on the just general real estate side, um, in the beginning, I think one of the most difficult things for me was rejection going on a listing presentation and losing. I'm very, very competitive. And that was very hard and, and, and not taking that personally, learning how not to, again, internalize that or own that emotion, but to let go of it and just say, well, there'll be another one. And now I'm very much like, yeah, there'll be another one. I'm not worried. I'm very confident when I walk in. But having that, again, that mindset and all the emotion, I think this is going to be an extremely um, emotionally volatile business if you allow it to be. Yeah. <laughs> so stepping back from that and then doing the things to feed yourself to make that roller coaster a little smoother. And it, it's still volatile. It's still going to have its moments. We still have frustration. But I think for me, it's the emotionality of it. It was more difficult. The, the houses I love, you know, I get to go see pretty houses all day. So that's fun. And the, the business side of it is that's the easy part for me. Contracts, negotiation, that's easy. So that's just the easy part. The negotiating was so much. The negotiating was so scary to me in the beginning, but I was like twenty-five. So oh yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I came out of the world. Oh my gosh, this is too much. Uh -huh. It made me grow up fast. Mm -hmm. So I want to visit you on both of those challenges. In the challenge of, I think that's been my big. I think mine are, and maybe everybody's are taking on the emotions. Mm -hmm. What have you found? has been like, do you have, how did you, did you ever come up with, was it just a matter of time and getting over it? Or did you ever come up with a way of shifting your perspective, having conversations, asking questions certain ways? What, what did evolve for you to have you able to do that without getting caught up in it? Well, I think one of the things I learned is diffusing conflict or emotion right out of the shoot. So, and I, for example, text is a very unfortunate way to communicate. Yes. So whenever I sense emotion in a text, I immediately pick up the phone and call. If I can have an in-person conversation, that's going to be much more powerful. Let's go have coffee. If somebody's feeling anxious, stressed out, and I can get in front of them, that can diffuse the situation very quickly. So I learned that, don't, you know, to take that uh, equation out of it. I, I try to set the expectation from the moment that I meet somebody that I expect I will be totally transparent with them and I expect that in reverse, that if there's any sort of issue, they're not feeling like I'm not you know, communicating appropriately enough, frequently, they need more, they need, please bring that to me and I will endeavor to change, like let's get that, all that stuff out in the front. 
I always say you can use me as a sounding board, you can use me as a shoulder to cry on, you can call me anytime when you're feeling angst, and they do, <laughs> do a lot. Yes, they do, yeah. Yeah, I just try, and I, I, at some point, a colleague of mine said, you know, it's not about you, it's about them. And I think keeping that in context to really when their world, you know, they're spinning up and, and then you just feel like, gosh, what's that all about? It is about them. It's about what's going on in their life. It's about the stressors exactly. they have, which even just simply moving is a huge stress and throw into that, you know, conflict with kids, marriage, everything else. It's a lot. And when you just give them usually, uh, you know, a sounding board, they're very appreciative. And the other part I think is just about, and I've learned this as I've gotten older, is about being more real. So being very authentic with myself and, you know, I'll share my own parenting challenges, life challenges. Um, mm. I can't share with them an experience moving across the country because I've never done it, but I certainly can empathize with them. I can help them. I'll share funny tidbit stories and just make it more, more real because we're all in the same, you know, we're doing this together. So we might as well. Just I think sometimes when people are moving, it feels so traumatic because it's your home. You kind of, it's easy to feel like, you're being wronged because so many things can go wrong or there's so many uncertainties and yep. we all want certainty mm -hmm. and reminding them like, Hey, it's okay. Like this is normal. It's not just you and knowing that somebody's got empathy for them in the process, mm -hmm. but it make you make me think about, um, I always quote Chris Voss, never split the difference life mm -hmm. changer. That's my way of dealing. Just read that book seven times. Mm -hmm. Only seven. I haven't read it in a while, yep. but one of the things I kind of inadvertently learned was, I'm, the, I'm a sensitive soul. If you yell, at least the younger version of me, if you yelled at me, it was like, I just couldn't handle it because it was like, I just wanted to like take your pain on for you, which right, is right. sympathy, not empathy. Yep. But one of the things for me, and I think kind of what you said, it's not about you. Like when you do that, you make it about you. It's about mm -hmm. them. And that now I actually don't have people yell at me very often, but when they do, and maybe this is why it's like shifting your own mindset to realizing it's not about you. When the client yells at me, I'm like, wow, they really trust me. Mm -hmm. They're not going to come undone like that with somebody or there, or there's a real problem, but usually it's, they're doing it like my kids might yell with me, but they're not going to a school because they know the love, love here is unconditional. Yep. And yep. the same thing with our clients and getting that kind of understanding you know, it just, it really makes you go, okay, wait a minute. I've got to really respect who I am to them and, and what I do for them. And it is not, I love what you said. It's about them. It's not, none of this is about you. Nope. That's not what you're love here that. for. I yep. love that. Yep. Um, rejection. <laughs> How do you overcome that? Because I even find people making up rejection in their own heads about business when it's right. not, it's like, that's not rejection. That's just, that's just a no, but that is not even, but so sometimes we can, we want success so badly that we perceive or fear or, or kind of self-fulfill ourselves into it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. So well, what do you have to say about it? Yeah. So with rejection, I mean, I, I think, again, you cannot take it personally. This business, I mean, nobody would survive in this business if you took everything personally. Oh my gosh, I think that listing, oh, I lost that buyer. Oh my gosh, everything's like the world is in. And I used to sit and ruminate about it forever. It was awful. Right. And now, not that I don't, I think there's still an element of that is like, oh, I really wish I would have won that listing. But now it's more about, gosh, let's kind of do a postmortem and figure out what did I do that, that where I didn't create the relationship with that person, you can't create a relationship with everybody. So yeah. or that I, maybe I wasn't able, willing to cut my commissioner. Maybe I didn't, maybe they're going to go list with their sister-in-law or whatever, or I had a really formidable competitor. So let's really evaluate why I lost. Why did I not win that listing? 
And sometimes you're just off your game. I mean, I find I get into patterns of success or losing, and it's because my, my, my something's not, I'm feeling, I'm bringing that energy into the listing presentation, for example, and then it just doesn't, I, I'm not on my A game or I'm not, you know, to me, where I build that confidence is by being prepared and coming in with everything at the ready and knowledge and anticipating what the question might be so I can answer it. So, and I think as, and I hate to say this, but as a female, I think we all like internalize all these emotions and it's hurtful and we carry that, but I try to, to not, and to, to get step back and be a little more rational as I'm looking at it after the fact to say, oh, well, all right, there's another one. And there always is another one coming, so. Yeah, well, not only that, I kind of, this business is one. And I would say, you know, not to be sexist everybody, but as women, at least me, you kind of, when something goes wrong, it's all your fault. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about this business is you kind of just learn, like, no, it's not. Just be your yeah. best. Just keep going. <laughs> exactly. There's so much more opportunity. Yeah. You can like wallow in this and make it bigger by focusing on it or just keep focusing on, like you said, like, <laughs> how do I make it better? How do I do it better next time? How do I improve? Right. Oh, that might've been, oh, gee, tell me if this happens to you. But as I've been in business for 16, we've been about the same. Okay. And I will not follow up the way I know I should on something or I will not. And I hope no one's listening to this that I didn't follow up on that I really wished I would have. So just like everybody take this with a grain of salt. But there have been times where I've thought, I really, because I almost think it's disrespectful. Like if someone pursues me to do business and I'm not following up and going after it, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And then I, it's funny because after a while you almost have like a subliminal like screening for people yeah. that you don't even have time to like look at what you did, but you, time goes by and you're like, oh yeah, that actually didn't want, that wasn't the right deal for me or that was yeah. not the right time or yeah. they came back and listed with me when the time was right for the house yeah. to sell or it's funny how you just focus on not making it about you and being rejected, but about yeah. being your best, doing the best. Yep. by your clients and by mm -hmm. what's right, mm -hmm. which right. I'll give a note to Sotheby's yeah. on that. Sotheby's is definitely that kind of a company that you've got the right marketing, the right everything. But in doing that, the, it, 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 it works. Out. And everybody, you don't have to be with Sotheby's, but I know you're with Sotheby's and that's yeah. a lot of the alignment for you and yeah. what you do. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it, it does it for me, but Anything to add to that before I ask you? I'm going to ask you one more, and then I'm going to ask you my quote, final three. Yeah, no, I'm good. Um, That's what. What is your biggest strength? What have you found to be your biggest strength and kind of unexpected? Because you may have become an agent and thought, this is what I'm going to be good at mm -hmm. and discovered something bigger and greater about yourself and how to do business. That's kind of broad. Oh, it is broad. Um, yeah, so I think coming out of the world of finance, I would have assumed I'm going to do so great Excel in contracts and all that great, which I do. But that's not actually what people care about. I think it's about creating that relationship, creating that trust, being an advisor, taking on that role that I genuinely love. And that, that I think is one of the, it's probably the most powerful thing in real estate is creating the trust and the relational thing. It's all about relationships because people can go by, you know, in our market, as with most, you know, we've got a lot of technology threats, different business models. There's a lot of alternatives out there for people. So we have to add value. And I think just having that value add, which I think more than anything right now is relational. So I think that that surprised me given where I came from, you know, my background as a CPA. I'm wearing a totally different hat right now, which was a nice transition. Exactly. Yeah. 
And you probably thought the CPA was the big value add yep. for and you. Mm -hmm. And it turns out to be your way of working with people and then right. everything we've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you one more and then I'm going to do the final three. Coming mm -hmm. into this business, what has been your biggest aha and or lesson learned about just being a great real estate agent and being the best agent you can be? Uh, I, I think the biggest, uh, I, I guess, surprise I think about the market is how, or in real estate, is that it actually can be very collaborative. You know, I came into this business thinking it was more of a competitive model. We're all competing with one another. And understanding that you can create that collaboration and partnership with other agents that help propel your business. They really, having that ability to collaborate with each other. I have had put more deals together through relationships with other agents than not. And that's a big, like, I think that was an aha moment probably, you know, within the last five plus years that that, is probably one of the most powerful things we can do is work together as agents to help bring about deals, to help as a sounding board with each other. So that, that not to compete, but to help each other um, yeah. and to lift each other up. I think that would be the biggest sort of aha for me that was surprising. Well, there's so much business out there. Yeah. There's so much business. It's, it's, if you're good at what you do, you're going to do business. Yep. And if you, I love that about our business. It's not as cutthroat as everybody I mean, it definitely is tough. You got to have a thick skin, but at the end of the day, if you just hone in on what's right and you're good at what you do and you work with other agents to help them, they help. It's amazing how giving. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The people yeah. in our industry are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Final three. Mm -hmm. One, mm -hmm. what do you find? And you can get crazy broad or crazy out there on this one. Mm -hmm. What do you find has been your most powerful tool in making you a successful agent? Uh, my most powerful tool is probably preparedness. I mean, I go into every listing presentation, every buyer presentation, it's about preparedness. So um, a lot of people would say of me, you know, she just anticipates, like she knew the answer to the questions before we even ask, and that's where I wanted to be. And that, that it's, I find that's how I gain confidence is by anticipating that and being prepared. Um, and I think without that, I wouldn't have the confidence. So I think that's probably my biggest strength. What? That's I love that because you know how many agents before a listing appointment and I'm often guilty of it are running around pulling stuff together last minute and kind of running in there, winging it on their personality. Yep. And then they wonder why they didn't win the listing. Yep. Next yep. quote. I love that. That's such great advice. That's the first, that's the first time we've gotten that answer. Number two, okay. book. what What's is a book? Okay. What is a book that you would recommend reading? And it can be life and or business. Um, that's been most life-changing for you? Uh, what has been life-changing in terms of a book? The Tao of Pooh. Oh, I love it. Oh, All right, tell us why. Yes. That is uh, because that, talk about not making it about you. That yeah. probably was a lesson in the Tao yeah. of Pooh. Exactly, yeah. Just that separation. And I think there's other, um, I'm trying to think of some that would be, a, in a, I've got some inappropriate books. I'm trying to think of what's on my bedside table right now. That I'm reading, which of course I haven't picked up a book in a while. So that's the beauty of being so busy. Um, so in, it's, so is it the Tao of Pooh or should you give us yeah. any more fun books? We'll call it, I, 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 what is it called? The Secret something? Anyhow, there's some other good ones out there. Oh, uh, the, the Secret. The Secret, yeah, which I think is I always fun. like, shh. <laughs> I had an assistant when that book came out and I loved it. And he was like, shh. He loved to make fun of me. We had so much fun anyway, but The Secret is a great one too. Um, 
law of attraction, all of that good stuff. Well, yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. So last question, if there is one thing, unless you want to elaborate on the attraction secret stuff. No, I'm good. Um, you're like, no, everybody's read it. <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah. so, that's so 15 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> right. Let's not be cliche today. Yes. Um, last thing, if there's any one thing you would have us remember from this interview, we're just going to forget everything, but one thing, what is that one thing we should take away? Wow. These powerful questions. Um, yeah, I think just taking it back to kind of the context of the purpose of the um, podcast, which is helping other people find success. But I do think if somebody was going to take away, and I'm just gleaning this through what I said myself, is preparedness and professionalism and really poise when you go in, when you're meeting with anybody, listing or otherwise, or the way we interact with people um, and professionalism. I mean, I think that those things, just holding ourselves out as a profession, I think sometimes we're uh, apologetic almost that we're realtors. I find that people, you know, we treat ourselves as if we're not to be inappropriate, but like a used car salesperson that we hold ourselves in the yeah. same kind of category, but that we're professionals and we're advisors and, and coming in and, and holding that standard uh, to our profession. I think that's where, that's where I think I'd love to see everybody go. I think not everybody will get there all the time, but if that would be advice to somebody, either, you know, super experienced agent that has one, you know, one based on personality. There's a lot of people out there that do that, but then stepping back to preparedness and the basics, I think that would be my one takeaway. Great advice. Thank you. Okay. That was a great interview. Thanks for being on the show. Yes. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you.